Would you please join me in prayer? Loving God, may we dwell in your creation in the wonder and reverence for it. May you spin us through space that we may see this as your garden, your harbor, and a holy place. Be in our breathing, in our speaking, in our thinking together, in all of creation. This we pray in your holy name, in your many names. Amen. We have, for the first two Sundays in Lent, talked quite a bit about the environment and our responsibility to creation. And we have heard plenty, as it has been pointed out to me, about the environmental crisis. It is an ongoing concern. The news is not good, and most of us know that. And we often feel overwhelmed by it. And two weeks ago, I shared with you the work of Fletcher Harper, who is one of the founders of Interfaith Power and Light, who said one of the first steps for us as people of faith to heal the earth and to help make this planet more hospitable to all living beings is to get in tap with our spirituality and our relationship with the earth. So I'd like to focus on that today as well as next Sunday and to focus particularly today as we heard in our reading on the land and the plants. Now God willing, this week as predicted is going to be our first week in some time that every day gets above freezing. And I don't know about you, but I'm quite excited about that. I'm very excited as I see these little streamlets happening on the sidewalks when I actually walk on dry pavement for the first time. It hasn't been dry for a long time. But we know that as March goes in New England, it may be several weeks before we see the soil again. And I don't mean just little glimpses of soil. I mean long patches or whole fields or whole yards of the grass that's been lying dormant, or just that wet, muddy, brown soil. Still with the soaking detritus left over from summer and fall, some of that that we didn't get raked up before the first snowfall. And it will be a cause for many of us for celebration, to see that soil again. And then you know what's gonna happen next. Sometimes, even before the snow has all gone, the crocuses, yes, go ahead, you can applaud for crocuses, that's good. The crocuses will pop up, or the snowdrops, followed by the daffodils, which I always think of trumpeters of spring, and the tulips, and on and on and on. It will be a cause for celebration, and it would be beautiful, liturgically beautiful, it would happen around April 5th, which is Easter Sunday. <laughs> the pathway up to my patio is from the street, and it's very narrow, but it's lined with a lot of that soil, which I can't wait to see again, and the efforts of many people over several decades to plant perennials. So from April through June is this unfolding of all the perennials as they come up one after another, one layer after another, and it is this great renewing reminder of the power of the earth to regenerate itself. What we heard in the lesson about all these plants having the seeds and seedlings within them to regenerate and keep this cycle going. What we don't often think about is long before that happens with the crocuses, 
or any seed we put in the ground, the soil has already been working for us. We tend to think of the soil as this static bit of dust and rubble and minerals. But in fact, it is chock full of living beings. In our germaphobic culture, we don't like to think about that too much. It kind of makes us skeeve a little bit. But I will tell you that in a pound of soil, there are estimated some 930 billion living creatures in one pound of soil. And this is part of the dry land piece that Genesis doesn't go into. And there's a whole, it's a whole universe of different creatures. We have, first of all, the bacteria, which are in the millions, breaking down fibers and making nitrogen from the air usable in the soil. We have these wonderful creatures I hadn't heard of before called actinomycetes. They're slow growing, but they are the ones that convert leaves into humus, that very rich soil that you often go and buy to help your garden grow. There are lots of fungi, funguses, that help bind the soil together with their own little plant structures. There are algae and protozoa. There are arthropods, these little worms that shred everything up so that it's usable. And then the giants of this biospheric topsoil, the earthworms. The big giants who weave themselves through and churn and aerate the soil so that water can actually get through. Now this in itself to me is a miracle of life. And one that we don't think about very often, that if you just dig out that one pound, all of this life is going on, all of this universe within a universe. But there's another miracle that goes on that just kind of knocks me on my feet the more I think about it which is every seed that gets planted, every bulb that gets put in the earth, contains within it the information for growth. And the water happens in the right amount of time so it doesn't get over-soaked, but it moistens just enough to loosen up and let the roots go down and soak up all those great nutrients and the stems to go up to where we finally see them, hopefully on Easter Day, with the flowers and the fruits. It's amazing to think that so, say, in three or four weeks, we'll finally see the soil, but in three or four months after that, this whole landscape will be entirely changed. It will be redolent with green and color. You only have to stand amazed at this in late summer when you actually take it down again, or when you have to clean out your garden, and you're amazed at all the stuff that has been produced that now needs to be thrown away, the old vines and leaves and roots. Now, I don't know what you think about changing the water into wine or helping the leper to stand again or putting the mud on the blind man's eyes, but I tell you that seed germination is a miracle of life and one that happens again and again. Michael Pollan, who wrote The Omnivore's Dilemma, actually thinks that the smartest species in the world are the plants, that they have actually gotten us exactly where they need us, that they seduce us. Blueberries seduce us with their sweet flavor. Grasses seduce us with their loungeable quality and their green waves. And so they have figured out ways to convince us of how to increase those plants in the world. It's an amazing thesis that he has in The Omnivore's Dilemma. 
What I think has happened, and in 1967, Lynn White wrote a wonderful article about this, so nearly 50 years ago. He, wrote, he was a historian who wrote that a lot of the roots of our ecological crisis are biblical. And it's the way we've actually interpreted the Bible. And he said that the problems from the Christian tradition in particular have taught us, the problem is that we have been taught to view ourselves as superior to nature, contemptuous of it, and willing to use it for our slightest whim. We often look at the land and the plants only in how they can be useful to us and sustain us in life. But in truth, there's another way to think about that, which is to think about the way that the soil and the plants actually bless us day after day after day. Many of you know the beautiful children's book that was written about this by Shel Silverstein called The Giving Tree. And in it is a great, wonderful tree that loves this little boy. And the boy comes first and just collects her leaves and makes crowns for himself. And then later he climbs up in the tree and he swings from her branches and it becomes his own personal jungle gym calisthenic workout area. <laughs> and then later he discovers apples in the trees and he eats them and spends hours just sitting there. On hot days, he sits in the shade of the tree to cool off. And in this book, he marks in the tree a little heart to indicate his love for the tree. Me and T is what it says. But then he gets older and he develops other interests away from the tree and the tree misses him. He comes back one day and realizes with a girlfriend and they sit under the tree together, largely ignoring the tree except for the shade she provides. Later, he decides to get married and start a family, but he needs some money. And so the tree says, well, take my apples. You can take my apples and sell them, and that will give you the money that you need. Later, he wants to build a house, and the tree offers up her lumber for him to do that. And so later, in retirement, he wants to get away from it all, and the tree says, use my trunk as a boat to take you away. And at the end of his life, that tree is left nothing but a stump. And he goes and sits on it to rest and reflect. Now the thing that's missing from this tree story is that the little boy, the man, did not plant new trees. Which is what I believe we are all called to do to help nature keep this thing going. But it points out all the gifts that we get from the land and the plants. Oxygen, food, materials for building shade, sheer beauty. And I believe that actually for us who are city dwellers, the way for us to enter back into this spiritual relationship with the way that the land and the plants have been given to us for enjoyment, the way they connect us to God, is actually through the food piece. Wendell Berry will tell you this, that eating is an agricultural act, and that we have to get more in touch with that. Now, on Ash Wednesday, we heard about how the second Genesis story, how God blew the divine spark, the breath of life, into the soil, and that created human beings. It's a good image for us to keep in mind, but the other is that all this good stuff that the soil creates, all this good stuff that comes in the plants, we actually ingest, and it becomes a part of our being again. Every nutrient we take in from the growing earth actually gets broken down in our bodies to become a part of ourselves and a part of our living being. 
So I'm going to join Wendell Berry to think about the things that we can do to actually get more in touch with this plant land cycle. Now one is for you just to go out and to notice every day how the soil changes and how the plants come up and to wander into that miracle of life of which I've spoken. But Wendell Berry will tell you to get in touch with the food and the way that we partake of it is another thing to do. And one is just to get involved with producing your own food. If you have a garden that you can develop into food and get good soil in there to do it, do that. If you can only do a plant on your windowsill, do that. But somehow get in touch with growing things in soil. Another thing he recommends is to really understand how the food you get comes to you from the plants around the world. Now you only have to step into one of our modern market, uh, supermarkets and wonder at the amazing variety and the complication of bringing that all to us. We take it for granted. But actually doing what a lot of stores do, which is to help us to get in touch of where that actually comes from, who grew it, and even further if we want to, what techniques that brought them to grow it, helps us to understand this cycle and our place in it. There are plenty of other things that you know that we can do, which is to buy more organic so we're renewing the earth, to become a part of a community garden where you get shipments every week in the, in the growing season. These are all things to do, and any one of them will work as a start for us to reconnect spiritually with these gifts from God. Any of this can feel overwhelming as well. But the thing I think we have to remember, if we're going to try to heal the earth, is if we look to the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, he did not heal all the lepers in Palestine, but just the few who were right in front of him. He did not heal all the blind people in Jerusalem, but the ones who came to him. He didn't feed the whole Mediterranean, but just the few thousand who came in front of him. So our job, I believe, is to start right where we are, in our own yards, our own gardens, our own marketplaces, to realize the goodness of God in every transaction that takes place, in every growing moment, in every melting of the ice that then feeds the soil and the plants that grow up. God has given us that entree into the world, into the world that God gave us for safekeeping, for taking care of. Amen.